Welcome to Cornerstone Church of Parker and our Sunday service webcast, which is connecting you to God's Word anywhere over the internet. We're glad you're joining our webcast today and pray that God will minister to you as we share His good news in Christ Jesus. And now, with a message from God's Word, here's our speaker for today. Let me please begin by a word of prayer for myself and for us today. So, Father, help us to hear your word, the truth of your scripture that is ageless, the truths you have given us to um, not just to be out there, but, Father, to, to follow, to apply, and to put into practice in our lives, even when they are hard, even when they are difficult. God, I just pray that you would be honored and glorified today. You would take away any part of me, Father, and that only you would come through. You would speak your truth through me. In your heavenly name we pray. Amen. Amen. So for those who maybe I haven't met, my name is Nathan Teglin, and I am one of the elders. Um, Pastor Mike asks occasionally for us to come and rotate through and share. And so he gave me the fun topic of Hosea today. We'll get to that in a moment, more on that. <laughs> um, our series, we're talking about Love Does. I'm going to move around a lot, so how's that ringing over there? We're doing okay? I can do very well without a mic, too, if I need to. But thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Love Does. It's actually a great book um, by Bob Goff uh, on this topic of love, too. If you haven't read it, please go out, get it, read it. It is phenomenal. Uh, but today, specifically, how do we love the unlovable? looking at the story of Hosea. And so my attempt today is to kind of tell you the story of Hosea, make sure you understand it, look at some of the pieces of Hosea, to then come out of that and look at some principles from Hosea's life and others um, throughout Scripture on how do we love those who are difficult to love, uh, and then just kind of leave us with a personal challenge today. If you will, we can have a little fun in church today too, right? And you'll You'll see as we get going. I, I like to have a little fun, and my brain is a little twisted. So, follow along as we go. I don't like to be difficult, but it's the only thing I'm really good at. How many of you know those people? <laughs> okay. Let me look at my notes. So, next question then. Raise your hand if you know that person. One more time. Raise your hand if you know a difficult person. Okay. Maybe it's at work. You have to bite your tongue all the time to keep quiet. Um, raise your hand if perhaps you're married to a difficult person. Yeah, see? We're going we're gonna to hand out some therapy cards afterwards for those, <laughs> those of you that raised your hand. Okay, and then last of all, raise your hand if you are the difficult person. You know it, right? And <laughs> that's very much. In this whole marriage analogy thing, I, I definitely play the role of difficult person. I like this um, little quote to get us started here. Bob Goff says this about people. He says, I'm reminded that God makes people, and people make issues, but people aren't issues. People are people. Think about that. As we come back to it and we think about these stories, and you think about those difficult people in your life, God makes people, people make issues, but people aren't issues. People are God's creation, no matter how difficult they are, right? 
As a parent, um, there's things that I look at my own kids and I think about their lives and their futures. Things I script out for them way ahead of time, right? And we do this as parents. I want my kids to be successful. I want them to do well in school, to have godly relationships and friendships. I want them to be a blessing to others and a positive influence. I want them to find their passions. I want them to move into a, a field of education or a career that would fulfill their hearts and their calling. I think of even now as, as my daughter plays and thinks about her future and some of the conversations we've had, and I, I won't name names in case anybody's listening, but about a little five-year-old boy who is already slated to be my daughter's husband. Okay. I actually like the kid. They're a good family, so I'm okay with it, but we don't encourage that type of talk at this age. Really, like, I mean, you're friends, it's okay. Um, so I think of the little girls scripting out their weddings far in advance and waiting for that day to unfold. And we all have dreams, we have aspirations, and hopes for the future of our children and ourselves. No parent, though, at least not any that I know of, ever wake up one day and say, I really hope my child marries a prostitute. So when Pastor Mike said, you're going to preach on the story of Hosea, and how to love prostitutes. Well, great, thanks, Mike. This will be fun this morning. So this is what we're talking about, the story of Hosea. And this is the story that unfolds in the book of Hosea. And it actually is one of my favorite stories in the scripture for a couple reasons that I'll tell you as we go here. Brief background on Hosea. If you don't have a good study Bible, highly, highly, highly encourage you. Um, I tell my students at school, the Bible was written thousands of years ago to a different culture, a different people. The notes are helpful, okay? So Hosea, just as we look at who this character was, let's, let's look at a couple things. He lived in the northern kingdom of Israel. So if you back up and, and study the history of Israel, once again, you have this, these people who cry out because they want to be like everyone else. They cry out for a god. Um, sorry, they cry out for a king to be over them, just like, and, and the text says, just like all the other nations around them. So they cry out for a king, and, and when God says is this nation that was supposed to be a, a theocracy, a, a nation built on God, they said, no, we want a monarchy, we want to be like everyone else around us. So God allows it, and he gives them King Saul, and he gives them King David, and he gives them King Solomon, and, and that's how long in the scriptures, that's how long the united kingdom lasts. It's only three kings. By the end of, of Solomon's reign, the kingdom is being split in half, and ten of the tribes head north, and two, give or take, of them stay south, and we have this split now. We have brother against brother. This, in some ways, kind of a civil war that has unfolded between the nation of Israel. So Hosea, as, as you look in the scripture, Hosea is towards the end of the Old Testament, and we've been covering the Old Testament this year, trying to get through and, and look at the key people, the lessons of the Old Testament as we survey the Old Testament. Hosea lived in the northern kingdom, and he was called to be a prophet. That is a job I would never choose to have. And I would say most prophets probably say the same thing. They would not have chosen that job because, oh, you have to go into the king's courts. You have to go to the people, and you have to tell them their sins. You're going to be the most unpopular, hated, despised person in all the land. Are you up for the job? And most of them often said no. And, and if you don't think there's depression in the scriptures, read through the prophets. Some of those guys were the most depressed people on the face of the planet. 
woe is me, I have to do this. But God equips when he calls, he equips. So Hosea is called to the northern kingdom. And he is called to warn them specifically, this is about 200 years after the kingdoms have split. And when you read the scriptures, there's a, there's a pattern that unfolds with the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom, not once do they have a godly king. And so as you read through, if you ever do that study in the scriptures of the, the Old Testament kings and, and the books of First and Second Kings, you see a contrast between the northern kingdom and the southern. The only difference in that the southern kingdom occasionally repents and comes back to God. The northern kingdom, though, is a story of destruction. Every king is evil, wicked, perverse, and it gets worse, and it gets worse, and it gets worse. And this is where Hosea is. He's in that culture. He's in that mix. It's been about 200 years since the kingdoms have divided, and he is specifically called to speak to one of the northern kings, Jeroboam II. What is on the horizon, what we know from this side of history, is that the northern kingdom is about to fall and to be taken over by the kingdom of Assyria, who God allows to come in and, and to conquer these people because they're sinful, because they're wicked, because they don't listen to the prophets. Right? So that's where we are in this story. And that's who Hosea is. And now we look at what Hosea is called to. Um, Hosea 1, verse 2. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take to yourself a wife of harlotry and have children of harlotry, for the land commits flagrant harlotry, forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. If you're old enough, that's when you think Gomer, that's what, <laughs> that's what I think of. So sorry if, again, twisted mind, you have to walk with me. Um, but God commands Hosea to marry this woman. Now, we know later on that she's at least, people do pay to get with this woman. So I think she was a little better looking. Maybe... Maybe like so. Um, because she was a woman of harlotry. And, and maybe that word doesn't ring as true to our culture. She was a whore. Okay? This is who she was. She, at night, this was the woman you, you, you looked at and you knew exactly what she was up to and what she was doing and where she had been. And, and probably people talked about her. As a matter of fact, it was pretty common in Hosea's day um, for women to prostitute themselves to appease the god Baal or Baal. That's how, in their minds, that's how you, you made this god happy. And so it was quite common to have prostitutes um, walking the streets. And, and the idea the scripture gives us is that this is one of them. So again, think back. I mean, those plans, those dreams you have for your kid. I put myself in Hosea's shoes like, man... And, and it's funny to me, when you read the story, there's no argument. Hosea isn't like, God, come on. I, I, had, I had my eyes on this woman. She's from a good family background. There's, there's, it's not in there. I don't know why, but the scripture's pretty clear. Hosea is faithful. But you can't overlook that either, how hard this must have been for Hosea. Not only like in our culture of, oh, we want to marry someone we love, but in their culture of the shame that comes with this. And I'll tell you this now, and I'll come back to this at the end. This is a woman who deserved death, okay, according to Jewish culture. But God calls Hosea to walk into those 
people's lives who are doomed and who are destined for death and destruction and to model something to them. And this is where Hosea comes in. So he went and he took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. She actually gives him three children. And they lived together for a while. There's, there's Jezreel, is the firstborn. Um, and each of these children have these names that, that predict prophetically things that are going to happen. So there's Jezreel, and, and Jezreel foreshadows the impending judgment of Israel that's going to happen at the Valley of Jezreel. There's a history there. There's also a prophetic piece forward. They have another child named Lo-Ruhamah, whose name means not loved. And then the third child is Lo-Ami, whose name means not my people. And so in this context, this is not just your normal healthy marriage. There's a story unfolding. And the story continues. Hosea 3, the Lord said to me, Go show your love to your wife again, though she's loved by another man. She's an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver. So he goes out and he buys his wife back, right? He pays the price, the ransom for his wife, who God has commanded him to be married to. He buys her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. And I told her, you're to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will behave the same way toward you. When you read through the rest of the, the book of Hosea, you don't really get a lot more about their marriage relationship. You really see these poetic um, sections that unfold, poetic, prophetic sections that begin to unfold for the next whatever is, um, eight, nine chapters. And, and there's three main things that God begins to critique the nation of Israel over as he talks through Hosea and Hosea's relationship with Gomer. Number one, he says this about the nation of Israel. He says they have no knowledge of God. Hosea 4.1 says there is no knowledge of God in the land. These, these people have forgotten who God is. And I want you to keep this in mind because this is there's so much truth that begins to unfold as we look at this story through the lens of Hosea and we look at it through the lens of Gomer. But, but this is what Hosea inherits. These are a people. They have no knowledge of God. There's not a hint of godliness. They are evil, they are pagan, they are wicked. They don't even know who this God is. Secondly, the, the God, as he begins to speak prophetically through Hosea, he says to these people, you have no love for God. So it's not just a no knowledge, but there's also no love. The heart piece is not there. And, and this is so true, I think, for many of us today to say there's, there's people who know God, but do we love him? And do we walk after him? Thirdly, he says of the nation of Israel, they are unfaithful. They spend their time pursuing things outside of God. They're constructing idols. They're, they're performing sick, ritualistic acts in the, in the presence of prostitutes in front of the priests in the kingdom. And this is what God says about them. So talk about being difficult to love, right? This is what Hosea is called to do. I want you to go to this woman, and I want you to love her. She has no knowledge of God, no loyalty, no love for God. She's going to be unfaithful. 
And this is how the story unfolds. God's people are unfaithful. They have no love for him. God calls out this prophet Hosea and says to him, I want you to marry a prostitute to show these people what my love for them looks like. You know, by the way, she will be unfaithful. She will leave you. She will be unloyal. She will not treat you like a husband. She will abandon her own children in pursuit of other relationships. And she'll fail to raise them in the way they should go. As you read this story, if you're like me, you wonder why in the world does God call us into that? Why does he call Hosea into that? And I think as we move forward, what I'll I'll ask of us is, this is also true for us. I love these guys, um, the BibleProject.org. They do a great little video series. Um, I'm going to have to skip through one piece here. Here we go. Why does God call us into this? It's purely because of his love, compassion, and faithfulness. What greater story for that kind of love to unfold than in the middle of a story like this? I'm going to take out anything that even looks like love from the equation, and I'm going to show you what love really is. You're going to love a people who will be unfaithful. The story of Hosea, I think, gives us this example as you look through the scriptures. Of, it's one example of what it looks like to love a difficult people. We, as the church today, will also be asked to play the role of Hosea. So God may come and say to you, I want you to maybe not marry a prostitute, but maybe step into love these people who are unfaithful. He would call us to love difficult, unlovable people. Do you think Hosea wanted to marry a prostitute and be shamed and endure this pain? I don't think so. But sometimes God calls us to do things that only make sense in his plan and not our own. Romans 12 says this, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Live in harmony with one another. The scriptures command us to to not be haughty, but to associate with the lowly. To not be conceited and to repay no one evil for evil, but to give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So Hosea, and I'm going to come back to the other side of the coin in a minute, but I want to look through the eyes of Hosea for a minute and just ask us to think about six practical steps for loving difficult people. When we're done, I'm going to ask us to revisit this story one more time. Uh Uh-oh. I need some help, Mr. Duane. Thank you, sir. Number one, just six practical steps, and I would challenge you to think through these things. Perhaps you're not going to be called to, to walk the relationship walk that Hosea calls. Is, is called to walk, but, but perhaps you have a difficult person in your life that God is calling you to love. Number one, if that is the case, pray for your own heart. If God is calling you to love a difficult person, then there is a reason that God has ordained that relationship. And it may be for your own heart, and it may be for theirs, or it may be a change that is even bigger than we can even imagine. Colossians 3 says this, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. As the Lord forgave you, 
so you also must forgive. And above all of these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So if you're in a difficult relationship, a difficult season, first piece of advice for you, number one, pray for your own heart. God, what is it? What is it that I have in me? As, as David cries out, I think it's Psalm, I don't remember which Psalm it is, where David asks the Lord to search me, oh God, and see if there's anything in me that is unpleasing to you. Pray for your heart. It's easy for us to stand here and to throw stones, right? Look at that woman. Look at that prostitute. Look at that. How shameful. How disgusting that is. And I think God's word to us would be, no, pray for your own heart. Pray that God would change you so that you can see clearly the challenge that is ahead of you. Number two flows naturally out of this. Pray for them. Look at how many times the scriptures command us to pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who who despitefully use you, the Bible says. Philippians 1, 9 through 11, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. Pardon the typo. And be sure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Pray as Paul prays for us and Paul taught us how to pray. Ask God for them to work, for him to work in their hearts as well. To draw those who are unbelievers to him. And the prayer I pray for my kids at night, Lord, I pray that they would grow in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with man. Like, that's how Jesus was raised. And and that's what the Bible says of him, is how he grew. And I I pray that, and I, I would challenge you to pray for those difficult people in your life in that way. God, would you, would you raise them up in wisdom? God, would you grow them in stature? Would you, would you give them favor in not only your eyes, but in the eyes of others? I had a pastor tell me once, if you're having a hard time praying for somebody, you just can't find the words to pray for that person because there's so much angst and so much division there. Pray the, the things you would ask for your, heart, your own heart over that person's life. For God to bless them, to prosper them, to move them forward. Number one, pray for your own heart. Number two, pray for them. Number three, move toward, not away from them. Can I, can I harp for a minute <laughs> on the, I love the church. The church is the bride of Christ, but the Western church, in, in this abundance of choice and this abundance of so many things, this ubiquitousness, ubiquitousness of, of choice. And, and it is so easy for us to, to walk away and to go away and to leave and to, to go into a place and say, this is not... And, and I think about the church, the early church. What is it that set the early church apart? As... as these people were, many of them being hunted for their very lives, right? Being pursued by a Roman Empire. They didn't really have the luxury of saying, you know what, we're not going to get along, let's just go to the church down the road. Their other option was perhaps death or no church community whatsoever. And, and I get frustrated when I look and survey the scene around us today, how much 
movement there is. I think if we were to do a real study of how the church is growing, we would be shamed at how the church is actually growing because it's not really growing from people coming to us because of how different we look. We're family. Right? Families don't always get along, right? You know what? There are some conversations I have had to have. I literally grabbed my dad one time and hauled him to a counselor so that we could hash some things out. I kidnapped him and put him in the car and said, Dad, we're going to work this out because I want to see change happen here. And this, to me, is at the heart of so many issues today. Why are we not the light? Why are we not seeing people come to know Christ? People come into these doors and say, this is where, man, something different is going on here. Well, because when it gets hard, we leave. And we move away instead of moving toward. And, and we had this conversation this week that conflict, for me, my personal history, conflict is not a good thing. I'm Norwegian. I'm Scandinavian. We don't touch. We don't hug. We, we don't talk at dinner. Okay? You just do life. I, I literally, and I love my dad with all my heart, but I think I was... 20-something years old before I can remember hearing my dad even say the words, I love you. Like, I knew, you know, and, and he worked hard and he provided. He worked 70, 80 hours a week to provide. That's how he loved us. But we don't get to check out and leave when the going gets rough. And I'm, I'm convinced more and more that, man, we may be a messy family, but we have to look at conflict, not as something to avoid, but as an opportunity for God to grow us. Right? Now, now what that looks like is we probably will mess it up. Because <laughs> there's things even I know that I have said as I've tried to step into not being more confrontational, but being more what God wants for my own life. There's times where I've messed up too and have, have said things or failed to say things. And, but in the heart of it, I think conflict is God's way to purify us, his church, and then to mold us into being a family of God. So that when people come in, they say, man, this family is different. Something different is going on. We're not perfect, uh-uh. Not by any means. But for those difficult people in your life, my prayer for you would be this, that you move toward them in humility and in openness and in honesty with a heart to restore with a heart to seek God's kingdom and ultimately too I mean there's there's scripture that shows us Paul and Barnabas I think they probably went through some of this we know they didn't get along when it was said and done they parted ways but but with the blessing of God on that relationship too so move toward not away from each other as we seek to love difficult people. Another little tidbit, and it sounds silly, but there's a lot of truth to this. Find specific ways to be a blessing to that person. And as you do that, you're going to realize all of a sudden I'm, I'm not thinking about me and my wrong and how I've been hurt or wounded, but I'm looking to their needs. And wait a sec, isn't that biblical? Each of us should look not only to our own needs, but to the needs of others, right? Seek for ways to serve them. How do we make this practical? Find specific ways to bless and encourage them, okay?
I think of the picture that God gives us of his own love for us in Romans, that it's his kindness that leads us into repentance. That's who God is. Next piece. Give grace. Just as God extends grace to you. Colossians 3, 13, we are to bear with one another, and if one has complaint against another, we're to forgive each other, as the Lord has forgiven us. So we also must forgive. And the scripture even goes on later to say, you want, you want to know why sometimes your prayers aren't being answered? Well, the Bible is very clear. If, if you're harboring unforgiveness towards somebody, God will not forgive you. I don't think we teach that or talk about that very often in church, but there are things you can do to stop God working in your life, right? There are things you can do to, to walk outside of God's will. There are prayers that God will not answer. And that is one of them. If you harbor unforgiveness for somebody else, God will not forgive you. And I don't know about you, but I do not want God's wrath hanging on my head. So forgive and do it quickly. Last piece. I'll start to wrap up here. <clears throat> How do we love difficult people? We have to realize that we too are the difficult people. We are the gomers. Right? And you read this story of Hosea. This is why I, I kind of love this story because there's two ways to look at this story. There's the Hosea lens how to love difficult people, be faithful, be loyal, love them, seek them out, pursue them, do kind things, random things, get, get them back in, go toward them, right? Hosea walks out and he goes and he gets his wife back, right? These are the things that, that, that the story of Hosea teaches us, but it's easy for us, I think, sometimes to overlook the story of Gomer. We can, we can self-righteously put on the cloak of Hosea and say, okay, God, I'm doing all these things, and forget that we too are the Gomers, we have been unfaithful. We are the prostitutes. Right? I'm reminded of the, the story of David and the prophet Nathan. This is, this is the Old Testament. Again, David uh, has just killed this woman's wife, or, or husband, sorry. And um, Nathan comes into the king's court and he, he begins to talk to him about how bad this thing is and and, and David kind of self-righteously says, well, whatever is going on with this situation, you need to deal with that person and, and destroy and, and bring justice to that person. And Nathan very wisely looks at the king and says, David, that person is you. You are the one. And I think it's very easy for us to put that cloak of Hosea on and to say, God, you, you don't understand how difficult they are. You don't know how hard these people are. And God sometimes looks at us and says, yeah, but you're a whore. You're the prostitute. You know how much I love you? I love you, I love you so much, I gave you this weird story in the Old Testament about a man marrying a prostitute just to show you how great my love is for you. So to the gomers in the building, I would remind us, I would remind all of us, 
that there is nothing we can do that will separate us from the love of God. If, if you are the gomer and you know it and you own it, um, then welcome. <laughs> it's why we're here. Because, man, we, we are a bunch of gomers. This building is full of them. And, and if it wasn't for the grace of God, all of us would be on this path to hell. To the gomers in the building, I will say, there is nothing you can do that will separate you from God's love. And I dare you to look over your shoulder... If you think God doesn't care, if you think God is not interested, I dare you to look over your shoulder because I guarantee you there is a God who is pursuing you. In the same way that Hosea went and bought back his wife, God is coming after you with a desire to restore and to put you back in the right relationship with him. He has a plan, he has a story, and you are at the heart of it. For God so loved not just the world, but for God so loved you, that he gave his only begotten son. God will be honored and our hearts will find deeper satisfaction when we seek to love people as Christ loved us when we were his enemies. So just to wrap it up, my my challenge for us today is twofold. In In the role of Hosea, to think about some practical ways. How can we restore? How can we show the love of God to a community? How can we show the love of God to difficult people? I can't think of anyone much more difficult than this to love in the scriptures. The second piece, though, if, if you are on the side, and remember we all are the side of Gomer, remember that we can't ever put on self-righteousness because we are all the Gomers. But in that situation, God loves us and pursues us and comes after us. And that's my encouragement to us today. As we seek to love difficult people, we are difficult people. And God's love is so much greater because this is all about love when it's said and done. The greatest of these, he says, is love. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word (laughs) that you saw fit to include a story of a man being commanded to marry a prostitute. Because you knew that down the road, Father, you would, you would have generations of prostitutes who have run far from you. God, I pray for great grace for all of us as we seek to restore, to move toward one another in love. God, because that is what your word has commanded us to do. That we are a family, God. We, we have to learn to come together to humble ourselves, to seek the good of others, Father. As we, as we love on um, and work on these difficult relationships, God, we pray for our own hearts, too, that you would change us. We pray for those that we're working with. And we pray, God, more than anything, that love would reign supreme. Father, I thank you for your word for all that you've given to us. And it's in your mighty name we pray today. Amen. Amen. All right, you gomers, go have a good day. Bless you. We are dismissed.
thank you for listening to this Sunday service webcast from Cornerstone Church of Parker in Parker, Colorado. We hope that His truth has enriched your life and inspires you to greater works in God's kingdom. We invite you to worship with us in our Sunday morning service or join in our other ministry events posted on cornerstonechurchofparker.org. Cornerstone Church, built on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ and connecting people to God, each other, and to our world.